get started this evening, I want to begin by reminding you that next Sunday night, we will begin a series of four sermons. Uh, we will uh, change our format for the next four weeks. We will return to a traditional uh, worship format style. And if I could get uh, uh, the, the booth to pull up the next slide, thank you. And what we're going to do for the next four Sunday nights is a series of lessons entitled Simplify. And what that means is we're going to uh, take turns over the next four Sundays, starting next week, February 14th, and running through March the 7th. And we're each going to take one Sunday night and present a, a study of essentially one word. We are examining the mission of the Lord's church in the simplest of terms. We're going to talk about the word glorify, the word edify, the word testify, and the word unify. And we encourage you to be here as we examine those four words uh, over the next four Sunday nights. Uh, Mingu will begin um, our study for us next Sunday, and then Jay will present on the 21st, Ben on the 28th, and I will back clean up on March the 7th. <laughs> we hope you will plan to join us. Again, that will be a different format. It will not be us collectively studying in the roundtable format. We will each be presenting an individual sermon those weeks. So please join us, and it is our intent at the conclusion of those four Sundays to uh, introduce a new roundtable study, and we hope you'll also join us for that when the time comes. Tonight we will conclude the book of Ecclesiastes, if you'll transition us to the next slide. We are in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, and I'll tell you, it's taken a while to get here. Uh, we've covered one chapter each Sunday, and, and we're excited to bring this to a close and, and to study this fantastic chapter. So let's begin, and if you will, let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and we'll read verses 1 through 8. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Now you may be familiar with that first verse. That is one of the most quotable verses from the book of Ecclesiastes. And for me, when I look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1, there are two words that really pop out. The first one is creator. I'm fascinated by the choice of referring to God as creator here. Because we have gotten used to hearing God referred to as Father, probably more than any other title. And so there seems to me at least some inten an intentionality in referring to God as creator here. 
It's as if Solomon wants to remind his readers, to remind uh, the congregation of Israel as well as, as us centuries later, that God is and was, first and foremost, our creator. That means he's the one who's in control. He's the one who has the say-so. He's the one who originated you and I. He's the one who designed us. He's the one behind all this. And that should be humbling. Remembering that, that God is the one who spoke everything into existence. God is the one who took the dust of the earth and created man. And then took a rib and created woman. And if you noticed that dust issue is, is uh, uh, referenced in verse 7, that the dust will return to the earth, will return where the Creator took it to make us. There, to me, is a purpose in the term creator in this section to call to mind God's omniness, for lack of a better terminology, to be reminded that he's the one in charge. And I also am fascinated that the instruction to remember your creator is specifically directed to youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Isn't that a good piece of advice, no matter what your age is, to remember your Creator. And so the emphasis of remembering Him in your youth is fascinating to me. And I'm sure we all can understand why. It's because when we're young, we lack wisdom. When we're young, we lack discipline. When we're young, we tend to make a lot of mistakes that we don't make as we get older. And it makes me think of, of that statement that Paul will write in um, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. He says, flee youthful passions. There are some things when you're young that you're drawn to, that you give into, that you don't have a problem with as much as you get older. Maturity takes effect after a while. And if you remember back in chapter 11, there's a reference to, um, uh, there's one of these many statements in the book of Ecclesiastes about enjoying life, particularly while you're young. But in verse 9, there was that statement, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. In other words, you need to remember God, especially when you're young, because you have a tendency to forget that a day is coming when you'll have to give an account of everything you do. And so when I start this chapter, the word creator and the word youth both stand out to me right off the bat as key emphases in this verse. I think we need to uh, recognize in the term creator the humbleness it should, it should manifest within us, and in the term youth, the maturity that comes with prioritizing God. Don't all speak at once. It just reminds me, I think, chapter 12, verse 1, going back to a verse we, we talked about last week, I think this helps put into context the message being try, trying to get across 
in chapter 11, verse 9. Let's go back to that verse. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11:9. Rejoice, young man, during your, children, your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. You know, on a surface level reading of verse 9, you might walk away. If you just opened up Ecclesiastes, read that one verse, and, you know, had that, that was your daily devotion and walked, you know, walked off, it almost seems like, the, you know, uh, the preacher here, Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon here in Ecclesiastes, is almost saying, when the days are young, just enjoy your youth, follow every dream of your heart. Well, we kind of talked through that last week, and Ben did a great job kind of explaining what that really means and the parameters that he's talking about. But if it meant a different meaning, if it did mean a different meaning that, like I previously stated, that uh, just follow whatever your heart desires as you're young, then that would stand in direct opposition to what he then would say in the very next comment in chapter 12 and verse 1. So before we get into really the, the bringing out of the meaning of the text in verses 12, 1 through 8, I just wanted to stop and say, you know, this is a great reminder of just, just how important context is. If we had just looked at verse 9, we could really made some crazy, you know, points that, hey, you know, they're just sowing their wild oats, right? But in context, and everything wrapped around that, that is in direct opposition to what uh, Solomon is trying to get, it, uh, to get away from. I agree with Kyle on something he said in verse 1, the emphasis on youth. Because really this sentiment that this wrap, this conclude, um, this wrap-up statement, I was trying to think of a different word, the statement that wraps up his whole thought and his whole book, and that he's going to get down to in verse 8, and this comment he makes in verse 1, remembering the Creator, it could, it could apply to anybody, any age. So why put the extra emphasis on to the youth, right? Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. I think we can take away two things from that. One, possibly because when we are in our youth, that's when eternity seems that much further away. That's, that's when the consequences of our decisions today seem that much further away from us right now. When we're young, we, we, we see eternity as something that, as long as it is, it's that much long, you know, long away from us. We're not going to start our eternity until much longer and further down the line. So the decisions I make, yes, they affect my eternity, but I've got a lot of time to make up for that and to write the course on that. And so I think that's the, over, the emphasis on remembering the days of our youth, of remembering the Creator in the days of our youth, because of just, how, just how much more important it is at that moment. And then in verse 2 through 5, he kind of goes on through this interesting um, explanation of kind of how, how, time is being, how time is going across. And how as you observe things around you and as time goes on and the things kind of break down around you. I, I, one commentary I read when I was studying for this, I don't know if I agree with this, but I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. I don't think it's right necessarily, but maybe this is a, an, an interesting take on it. He says this almost could be an allegory of how in, on an individual basis our, our own bodies breaking down, how we need to look at the wisdom of God and remembering the Creator as our bodies Breakdown and how he how this commentator saw that is um, the comments in verse two through five. The strong men bow down. He saw that as a connection to the legs and knees beginning to sag. The grinders cease because there are few. Our teeth going out and, and losing them and having difficulty with that. The windows growing dim. The eyes in our heads. The sound of grinding is low. Our ears become our hearing becoming weaker and weaker. One rises up at the sound of a bird. Talking about maybe the difficulty of sleep. At old, in, 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 uh, in old age. And then the daughter of music are brought low. Just the appreciation of things with music and art may be growing weaker. 
So I don't know how much you want to read into that, but I thought that was an interesting take on the, the sentiment Solomon trying to get across here is as we observe and as we grow older ourselves, the importance of remembering our Creator. And then lastly, in this, this summary statement in verse 8, that, has, that is wrapping up all that he's been getting to and all the different routes that he passed, he went down in the, whole, um, in the whole of his life here. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. It's his one last shout out to this mantra he keeps trying to get across to his readers. If you want to explore wealth, go down that line as far as you want to, but I've gone it even further. If you want to, you want to explore the, the reaches of pleasure, the reaches of wisdom, whatever you want to go down, Follow that path as long as it will take you, and I promise you, at the end of it, all of it is meaningless if it is all under the sun. And so I think that's this last kind of reach in Solomon's mind, saying, okay, I've got to get this across again. And as he says, and as age breaks down, whether we're observing it or whether it's our bodies that are breaking down, this everything is meaningless mentality. And not that that's a depressing or a negative comment, just to show the fragility or the temporary, the, the temporary nature of everything around us compared to the eternity that the Creator has set before us as well. You know, when we look at this text, this is obviously, as we've already noted, the last thing that this preacher has to say to the congregation of Israel, to the assembly of Israel, the ecclesia, right? We've been talking about that on and off, and this is the final admonition that he has to give the congregation of Israel, all of the warnings that he has given thus far, all of the trips that we've been taking each week above the sun and under the sun and above the sun and under the sun, it's all come down, it's all boiled down to this in chapter 12. And part of me, part of us probably tonight wishes that he had something uh, different to say or, or something new to say or, or something he hasn't said thus far in the text, but other part of me is glad that this is simply a conclusion, as he says, on the whole matter in verse 13. We're going to get to it in a minute. This chapter is simply a conclusion, a summary, of what he has been saying the whole entire book. And he condenses it all into this one thought. Really two. One thought in verse 1 and one thought in verse 13. But the first one in verse 1 is, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. This one condensed thought, this one last admonition that he has is to remember your Creator in a world that has forgotten Him. That you are to be the people that remember the Creator even though the rest of the world has forgotten Him. In a world that lives under the sun, he is saying live above the sun. Because that is the only way to face life under the sun. If you are facing life under the sun without looking above it, there's no way that you can face it. Why? Because there are going to be the days that are difficult. And they are going to come. You need to remember your Creator before the years of unpleasure come before the sun and light and moon and stars are darkened, before the clouds disappear, before all these bad things happen, and they will happen. 
because all of these difficult things do come. The years of unpleasure will come. The years where the sun, the moon, the light, the sun are going to be darkened, they're coming. And since those days are coming, he is saying, remember your Creator. And that is the whole reason that Solomon wrote this book, is to say, don't be like me. Do not be like me. Do not forget your Creator in the days of your youth so that when you're my age, you look back at your life and wonder what it was all for. Don't be like me. Because I forgot my Creator. I forgot to live above the sun. I forgot what really mattered. What I thought mattered was money. I focused on it. Guess what? It wasn't enough. What I thought mattered was pleasure. Guess what? I did all of it I ever wanted. It wasn't enough. Guess what? I focused on work and what I could do and, and, and the great things my hands could accomplish. And guess what? At the end of it, I can tell you it wasn't enough. I focused on all these other things, but all of it was nothing but vanity. So before you become like me, Israel, before you become like me, choose to remember your Creator in your youth before all this other stuff happens. And to me, this is not, as we've said over and over, a pessimistic book. To me, it's not the, the, that Solomon is just down on life. He's not completely given up on life. To me, it's someone pleading that his readers will learn from his mistakes. To me, it's someone who has been through all the mistakes that he knows others are going through, and he's trying to warn them to learn from him and don't do the things that he fell for. Because if you don't remember your Creator, when the storms of life come, as he says, when the golden bowl is broken, when the pitcher is shattered, when the wheel is broken at the well, when that happens, you will not be able to make it through it unscathed if you had not remembered your Creator in the days of your youth. Because, as he says, if you live your life this way, if you live your life without ever considering your Creator, then verse 8, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. So that's why I think he's getting down to I believe he's really summing it all up before the summary in verse uh, 13, right? He's summing it all up. This is what I've been saying from the start of this book till now. I have been telling you all of these vanities, all of these things that we've been going through chapter by chapter, week by week in our study has come down to this where he is saying, if I had only remembered my Creator. You know, hindsight, what, you know, 2020? Well, that was really funny this year, right? I don't want hindsight if that's the case, right, you know? But that's what we're seeing here is this wise preacher that has experienced it before. And he's trying to warn those who are younger than him, don't be like me. Instead, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And then when the difficult times come, you'll be ready.
uh, <clears throat> I would like to view this section uh, in light of the development of this book. Uh, I found a uh, couple of themes that are recurring in this book, uh, like uh, six, seven, eight times in this book. One of the things is that, you know, uh, we don't know what judgment we will get. And that, that's what God, that's how God uh, made. And the other thing is that uh, we have to, uh, we enjoy our life and drink, eat, and enjoy. That's God's gift. That is another a theme, recurring theme. And, and another th uh, recurring theme is that the judgment is coming. The judgment is coming. So this is the uh, kind of wisdom that uh, Solomon got to that we have to remember the Creator and we have to fear God. So, and that is another recurring theme, we have to fear God. So this is the development that he made in this book. Then, finally, he said, all is vanity. Then we can take an advantage of having come to this point, passing all the previous sections and chapters of this book, and we can define again now what is vanity. What is the vanity that Solomon is talking about? And Solomon is uh, trying to give us the uh, lesson about. And the vanity is, uh, I think, uh, surely it is not saying that everything is meaningless. Everything that we do in this life under heaven, under the, under the sea, I mean, under the sun, is meaningless. I'm sure that, uh, you know, Solomon is talking about that, is not talking about that. But what is vanity? And I got a clue from, uh, from Jesus, Jesus, Summer on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he said, you know, lay up your treasure in heaven. And uh, chapter 6, verse 1 says that we will get reward in heaven. Not, in the, not necessarily on this earth, but in heaven, surely we'll, we, we may get some reward. So then, if there is something that we do in our lives here under the sun, which is connected with the treasure and the reward in heaven, that will be very meaningful. That is not meaningless. So what, uh, what you know, Solomon uh, says of as uh, vanity is something that we think is the treasure, but it is not actually. So the vanity, the word hebel in uh, in Hebrew means vacuum, vacuum, nothing, vacuum, like wind. Is there anyone who can grasp wind, even a hemp of wind? No. Even if we think that we got some wind in our 
you know, fist, nothing. There is nothing left. So that's vanity. So even uh, when we think, we, 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 we can do everything. We, we may do everything in our youth, in our life, uh, thinking that we are accumulating some meaningful thing under the sun that can secure our life, that can secure our uh, eternal life. But if it does not last, if it does not remain eternally, even after the judgment, final judgment, that is vanity. So uh, I think it was very interesting as I was preparing this, uh, this uh, tonight's study that we can, we can define the word vanity of this book again, taking the full advantage of having studied the uh, you know, former sections of this book. So, I think, you know, uh, this book is not promoting that, the idea that, you know, our life is meaningless. You know, only heaven is meaningful. No. But, this book is promoting the idea that we have to grasp, we have to stick to the meaningful life that could give us the reward in heaven. As Jesus said, we have to lay up our treasures in heaven. I mean, it was really, really uh, interesting to me that what Solomon said was exactly the same idea that Jesus said on the Summer Mount. Wow, that was, uh, I mean, I don't know if it is just only to me, but it was very, very, uh, you know, striking to me. Thank you, Mingu. Let's go ahead and turn our attention to the last uh, few verses of the chapter. We're going to read from verse 9 through verse 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. May I go first? You may. <laughs> yeah. Yep, uh, this is one of the uh, things that I, I really like to uh, share with my you know, people. Koreans and Americans and brothers and sisters and whoever, you know, keeping his commandments, keeping God's commandments is the kind of the theme of the whole Bible. We have to know that. Uh, some people think uh, that, you know, not our brothers necessarily or brothers or sisters necessarily, but uh, some religious people 
think that keeping commandments, keeping God's law is obsolete in the New Testament time, but it is not. Still, it is the theme, it is the duty of whole man. So we have to know the significance of keeping his commandments. That is, that is the whole duty, I mean the duty of whole man. This is, uh, this is what Solomon says, and this is other Bible uh, portion says. For example, uh, God called Abraham because of this. Uh, I think uh, Genesis chapter 19, verse 18, or 18, verse 19. I'm always confused about that, okay? Uh, it says that why God called Abraham, I mean, 18, 19, uh, it says, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So it is like commanding to keep his commandments. It's commanding to keep his law. So that is the beginning. So we have to keep the commandments. And Deuteronomy as Moses was uh, reviewing the law uh, before the Israelites went into the, uh, you know, Canaan land, again, Moses said, that is what you have to do. Keep his commandments. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24 and 20, um, 25 says, uh, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Again, this is our life. This is our righteousness to keep God's commandments, to keep God's law. And is that obsolete? Is that, isn't it uh, our duty for the New Testament people? Yes, it is. Jesus gave us the same commandment. Chapter, I mean, Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, he gives us this. Therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, Jesus is talking about God's commandments, and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. As you well know, this verse, this is the emphasis, I mean, Jesus' emphasis, so that we have to understand that we have to keep God's commandment. We say we love God. You know, I love Kyle almost always as he finishes his prayer. He says, God, I love you. He says that. How we love God? And 1 John says, we love God by keeping his commandments. As we keep his commandments, that means we love God. So still... You know, keeping God's commandment is the theme, the, the theme, the, the greatest, biggest theme of the Bible. And we should not forget. And it is interesting that 
Solomon, about 3,000 years ago, wrote this to his people that you have to keep his commandments. That is the whole duty of mankind. To me, I believe the preacher, as we've said earlier, is concluding his comments, but to me, the preacher has just said, you know, not only have I warned you about life under the sun throughout this book, not only have I given you everything you need to know about life through this investigation that I've had, uh, through, he says, through Proverbs, through my acceptable words of truth, through the wisdom I've achieved, right? And he's giving all of his credentials, really, of the things he's gone through in verses 9, 10, and 11. Not only is he saying what not to pursue, I believe in this final verse and passage, he's telling them what they should pursue. Obviously, we shouldn't pursue uh, uh, great success in, in, in the world's aspect of life under the sun, and we should pursue one thing. One and only one thing in this life. And that is fearing God and keeping His commandments. Students, you looking for a uh, verse or some little senior quote uh, in, in, in your yearbook, this was mine. Verse 13, the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep his commandments. This is man's all, he says. You know, it really want, reminds me of, of something Jesus said. You know, Mingu's bringing up the words of Jesus, and one of the things that is the most challenging and one of the most uh, applicable things he ever said when it comes to this book, Ecclesiastes, is what he says in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 26. When Jesus said, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? we look back at our verse tonight, this is the purpose verse of our whole study, verse 13, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. And the, 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 the fact of the matter tonight is that if we achieve all the fame, all the fortune, all the prosperity, all the notoriety, all the popularity, all the promotions at work, all the awards that man could give us, if you achieve whatever you can fill the blank in with, and you lose your soul. What was it all for? If you got to have all the world had to offer in this life, but don't get to experience the next one, then what good was it? And the problem with this thought is that we all want to believe about ourselves that we do remember our Creator, that we do fear God and keep His commandments, that we do aspire to reach this summary, this concluding thought that He has for the assembly of Israel. We all want to believe about ourselves that we do fear God. We do remember our Creator. And the problem with that is Sometimes we forget. 
Sometimes even though we think about ourselves that we do, I fear God I'm at church. I fear God I do this. I fear God I do that. But yet sometimes we become blind to how little we actually fear God. To how little we actually remember our Creator. We want to believe we are fearing God and keeping His commandments, but if we are more worried about our job than our soul, we've missed the point of Ecclesiastes. If we are more worried about getting that scholarship or being first chair in the band or getting that starting position on the football, basketball, or baseball team, we're more worried about that than we are our spiritual well-being, then we have missed the entire point of Ecclesiastes. If we are more worried about you fill in the blank, then we are worried about our souls and our salvation, then we've missed the entire point of Ecclesiastes. And in doing so, we've missed the entire point of what it means to be a follower of God. Because this is the whole duty of man. If you believe all the rest of the whole Bible, you believe what God has to say about worship, you believe what God has to say about salvation. You believe what God has to say about whatever the case might be. But you don't fear God. You don't revere Him. You don't respect Him. You don't put Him above all else. And you don't keep His commandments. And you don't remember your Creator. The, all the rest of it was useless. Because this is the whole duty of man. And when that is the case, that we have forgotten our Creator, that we have rejected to fear God, we will not be ready to face the Creator. That we have been actively forgetting our entire life. Because as he says in verse 14, for God will bring every work into judgment including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And if we have lived our life acting as if He could not see our actions, even the secret things, then we will not be ready to meet Him in judgment. So, is this your all? Because that's the duty, that's the all that God expects. So my high school senior quote also comes from this chapter. Um, mine was verse 8. Vanity of vanity, says the student. All was meaningless. Verses 9 and 10, you know, I think about how Solomon is... It, it, took, it, it took a second. Slow it's okay. It, 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 it had to marinate. So verses 9 and 10, Solomon is just saying, okay, this is what I did with my wisdom. This is what I saw. This is what I took away from everything. This is where... And I didn't just hold it to myself and write it down. I taught others. I, I wrote it out. I arranged many proverbs. I um, sought to find delightful words and write words of truth correctly. But my question, I guess, for, uh, for myself tonight is, 
It comes from verse 11. The words of wise men are like goads, goads or, or spur, spurs, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. These two things here, it, it, it poses the question, how has Solomon's wisdom affected you in your life? He says in verse 11, wisdom from wise men should, should, affl should afflict us. It should, like a spur, motivate us, drive us to, to reach higher, to grow strong, you know, be stronger, whatever it may be. It motivates us to move forward, just like you spur an animal or something like that, it, to drive them in a certain direction or to, to speed up. Wisdom should also have that same effect on us. And the other one there, the other part of verse 11, these collections are like well-driven nails. They should hang in our minds. They should be well planted. You know, I, a lot of times when I listen to Kyle on Sunday mornings, being someone who speaks a lot, I, I, I tend to, well, when I'm listening to another speaker, I, I get caught up in, oh, that was, that was really well put. Like, and I'm able to appreciate how Kyle does a good job of wording things or how, how he kind of forms a lesson. But I've caught myself many times saying, appreciating a point because of how he worded it and not how it, how it should affect me. Hope that makes sense. Out of 12 weeks of studying the, the wisdom of Solomon, both below the sun and above the sun, right? How has his wisdom, how have these words affected you? In Alabama, we may call this just a small pinch, right? But it ha has it truly spurred you into action? And will it hang in your mind in the days to come? I hope so, because I, I, I'm walking away having learned a lot, and I'm, I hope that I'm um, dedicated to keep these things in my mind as well. Then in verse 13, the conclusion, when all, well, I'm sorry, verse 12, but beyond this, my son, be warned, the, the writing of many words, books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. And I think what, something we can take away from that very quickly is, we could spend the rest of our life reading all the books. You know, we're in grad school right now, and we're reading a lot of books. But we could read a thousand more of them, and it still would not touch the wisdom in verse 13. Because this is the conclusion. You can wear yourself out trying to find wisdom in every facet of this life. But if you want to know what's truly important, Solomon just writes it out in five words or less. Fear God and keep His commandments. You, you're not, we could spend the rest of eternity trying to find something that provides us more wisdom than that, and, and there it is. Fear God and keep His commandments. The emotion of fear, I think it's interesting that of all things, when Solomon is wrapping up everything he wants us to take away, he, he motivates us, he draws our attention to the emotion of fear. In our day and age, and especially in this generation, we want to follow God because of, of His love. We want, we want to follow His commandments like because of Je John chapter 15 and 14. If you love me, you will keep, keep my commandments. But the other side of that coin is that we, we keep His commandments out of the fear, the reverent and respectful fear that we've talked about throughout this text that we have for God. Fear God and keep His commandments. You know, fear is an emotion that drives us to respond. That's why we have the fight or flight response. When something scares us, when we find ourselves afraid, we're either going to run away from it or kind of bow up to it, right? It drives us to a certain response in some way. When we hear the lessons from Kyle and from the various people who are in the pulpit or in our classrooms, when we have our daily devotion, when we read the wisdom of Solomon here, what are we driven to? Our response 
Are we spurred by this? Is our fear of God and keeping His commandments because one day all of our actions, small or big, hidden or private, will be brought before His throne? How is that going to affect us? What is that driving us to? Is that going to drive us away from Him? Or out of our reverent and respectful fear for Him, will we prove our love to Him by keeping His commandments? I have I've really enjoyed this study. I've taken a lot away from it. This is a book that I've, I've spent a little amount of time in until this, and so I appreciate our time in it. I want to conclude just by emphasizing this keep his commandments statement that has been emphasized already. But we refer to Solomon as uh, the wisest man to ever live except for Jesus. I want you to listen to how many times in the New Testament we come across this very same statement. John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John chapter 14, verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. John chapter 15, and verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Matthew chapter 19, verse 17, If you would enter life, keep the commandments. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. And 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I think keeping his commandments is kind of important. And with that, we're going to conclude our study of Ecclesiastes, because that's the emphasis that Solomon left us with. I thank you for participating in this. This has been a long one. Grateful that you've stuck it out with us, and I'd like to close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we have this time of study each and every week. We're thankful that you have allowed Mingu and Jay, Ben, and myself to, to lead us in an examination of your word uh, these many nights. And we pray that you'll empower us to do it more and more. We thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. We thank you for your collection of, of all of Scripture. And though there are times we emphasize some texts more than others, we're appreciative of what we can glean from every part of it. And help us to, um, help us to grow more appreciative of it every day. We draw this study to a close, Lord, and, and we're thankful that we've been able to engage in it, but now, Lord, we ask that you help us. Help us to fear you. Help us to keep your commandments. Because we understand that that is our duty. And we don't want to be negligent in our duty. Lord, we love you. And we offer this prayer in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.